Good afternoon. Happy Sabbath. Silence. Let's try that one more time. Good afternoon. Hey, that's much better. Emron, I totally know how you feel about your side ache. One time um, I had chest pain, and I thought that it was like an intermittent mild heart attack. And so I went to some of the medical professionals, and I told them where the pain was. And I pointed here, and they're like, that's not where your heart is. And I was like, I I know, but it just doesn't feel right. It turns out I was playing table tennis, (laughs) and I stretched stretched too far. I I really get into my table tennis, okay? I was playing table tennis, and I I pulled a muscle somewhere in here. Anyway, I'm glad that you're okay. Um. I just wanted to give you an update. Uh, A number of weeks ago, maybe just over a month, we had a church business meeting, and we voted on whether or not we would stay in North Fitzroy Church or move to uh, West Melbourne Baptist Church. And for those of you who were at the business meeting, you know that the vote was split 50-50. So it was just completely half and half. And so we decided, let's spend a bit more time and pray through this decision. And that's what we want to do. As you know, on a fortnight, on a Friday night, we have our church prayer meeting. And so this coming Friday night at 9, thank you. This coming Friday night at 9 p.m., we're going to be praying together as a church. And really the the nature of the prayer is working through the mission of Melbourne City Adventist Church. What is God calling us as a congregation to do? What's our missional purpose and and our identity? And so we're going to spend time praying for each other and praying about this. And then um, we're going to follow that up with a survey. And the nature of this survey is to find out what is the reasoning behind why people chose yes versus no. And that'll help us as a team to really think through the needs of the church and um, potentially find a better venue or try out West Melbourne or stay here at North Fitzroy Church. And so We really appreciate your patience. We know this has been quite drawn out. Um, We are, um, we're wanting to be thoughtfully considered of this, especially since the vote was split. And so bear with us. We'll maintain open lines of communication with you. And um, yeah, by God's grace, we'll have a very clear um, understanding of what to do next. And so thank you for your patience in this area. I hope you all have had a good week Uh, for us. With our boys, it's nearing the end of term, so for those of you who are teachers, much love to you all as you have to put in that extra time to really get all the reports done. Um, I hope you're making it through the end of the week. We're just making it to the end of term, and then it's school holiday, and then it'll be happy time for everybody. Um, this afternoon, the sermon title is called The Eleventh Commandment, The Eleventh Commandment. And really, the idea behind this sermon is really exploring complexity within simplicity, exploring complexity within simplicity. You know, there are things that we do all the time that seem fairly simple, like using the word the. We use it all of the time. But when you actually think about the word, the definition and how it's used, you really start understanding how complex this simple word really is. For example, Why do we say, I have the flu, but we don't say, I have the headache, or I have the COVID? I know somebody out here knows the answer to this question. Just let me have my soapbox moment, and you can tell me afterwards. But this word is complex. Or or another simple thing, like one plus one 
equaling two. So mathematician and philosopher Bertrand Russell, he set out to prove one plus one equals two. And the proof took him 372 pages to complete. And if you're interested, the solution was published as the Principia Mathematica over three volumes. And so if you're looking for anything to do over the extended weekend, I don't know if you're going to want to do that. (laughs) But my point is, for us, when we look at one plus one equaling two, it's like, yeah, of course. But when it comes down to actually understanding math clearly, it's much more complex to prove. So today we're going to be talking about the Ten Commandments. These ten simple rules that we really value as Seventh-day Adventists, and many Christians value them as well. As Adventists, we're very pro-Ten Commandments. We love preaching about them in our evangelistic meetings. We vigorously defend them against those who believe that they were done away with at the cross. The commandments define who we are as God's faithful people. But today, I want to focus on one aspect of the commandments that Jesus emphasized at the latter part of his ministry. In Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 31, I'm just going to invite you to look at this text. I won't read through the whole passage because I know you're all good readers out there. But what I want to highlight here is in Mark chapter 12, one of the scribes, he asks Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? What's the greatest commandment? And if you look at verse 30 and 31, it makes sense to me because Jesus quotes the commandments, or he, he summarizes the commandments, I should say. Love your neighbor as yourself, uh, love God, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he's really summarizing the Ten Commandments under these two concepts, but I guess this one concept of love. It just it makes sense to me. But verse 29 is very confusing because it's not a command. It's a statement. And if you read it, he says, the most important here, uh, the, import- <laughs> the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, if you look somewhere else in the Bible, it's actually a direct quote from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. And the passage says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord Yahweh, in the Hebrew, our God, Elohim, is one, Echad. Now, Elohim is a plural reference to God. Now, in the English language, if we want to take a singular um, noun and we want to make it plural, then we just add an S or an ES. I'll have two pizzas. Now, in the Hebrew, if you add a yim at the end of a noun, it turns it into plural. And so Elohim, it's a a plural reference to God. And it's really interesting because even when you look at Old Testament theology, you've got this um, argument towards the the Godhead. Um, Oftentimes, I think sometimes people think the, the, the Godhead or the Trinity was something that was introduced in the New Testament, and that's not true. The word ikad, it means united. And the word is used when you gather multiple things and you put them together. You can also use the word one or oneness when you describe the word or when you translate the word ikad. So before Jesus shares the greatest commandment, he gives context to the commandments by talking about the oneness or the unity of God. Because the oneness, it's, it's the very nature of God. It's who he is. It's how he operates. He is 
united within the Godhead. And therefore, the greatest commandment, it's about cultivating unity and oneness. So here in this passage, Jesus connects two ideas. He connects truth and love. When he talks about the commandments, he's talking about that which is right and wrong, truth. When Jesus highlights the word one or oneness, he's highlighting unity or love. Tim Keller, the belated Tim Keller, he writes, Truth without love is not truth, and love without truth is not love. See, if you only have truth, but you don't have mercy, you lose the justice and fairness of that truth. I don't know if you've uh, ever used this website. I have, clearly. But did you know that you can receive official warnings from tickets issued by road safety cameras here in Victoria? Road safety cameras. I call them road uh, revenue-generating cameras. But uh, road safety cameras, even if you get that ticket sent to you um, in the mail, you can get official warnings. And, you know, these are instances where the driver was definitely you. I, I don't know if you've ever followed up to say, was that really me? And you check up the photo. These cameras are very high definition. You can, like, clearly I can see, yep, that's me. <laughs> now, why does Pastor Roy know about official warnings? Don't worry about it. <laughs> Actually, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll, I'll be transparent here. There was one time where I received three tickets in one week. Three tickets in one week. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but according to the, and I won't cite all the principles, but basically you, you send a letter, you follow the guidelines. I got two of the tickets um, excused. So they dropped two of the tickets. I had to pay one fine and had demerit points for one of those tickets. And so the point here is this. Clearly I'm guilty. I am guilty of speeding. I couldn't get around it. It's me, it's my car, it's my rego. And yet, even the Victorian police understand, if we're too rigid every single time somebody breaks the law, you lose the fairness of the law itself. And so the, the principle that they cite is you didn't have a chance to reform and therefore will drop the additional tickets. Interesting. So if you have truth but you don't have mercy, it ceases to be truth. The opposite is also true. Love without truth is not love. You must have justice and truth if you really want love. If there's a murder and the court allows the murderer scot-free, this person is a serial killer and they've killed over and over and over and over again, if the court just says, you know what, let's just give you a get-out-of-jail-free card, it's okay. To the victims, that's not justice. And so if you only practice mercy, you lose the sense of true justice. So in order for there to be love, there must be truth. There must be justice. And it's only in the heart of God that we find a balance between these two ideas, that which is true and that which unites. The Bible is filled with paradox. The Bible is filled with these two opposite ideas that are kind of put together. For example, God is three and God is one. We are both sinful and righteous. The Bible is filled with paradox. How can God be three and one at the same time? How can I be both sinful and righteous at the same time? 
Martin Luther, he coined this phrase during the Protestant Reformation, simul justice et peccator, I am both sinful and righteous, or excuse me, I'm both sinful and justified. How is it possible to be first when we are last? How can we find our lives when we lose it? Truth and love are paradox, opposites that are coupled together. But what I find is that as I try to live out the different paradox in Scripture, it's so challenging, but I find that God is often in the midst of the paradox. Those ideas that don't make sense, when you live it out, you find the divine. For me, it's easier, it's easier to either love or to practice truth, but not both. It's easier for me to love those who practice truth. You know, my sons are in public school, and if I'm being honest, there are things and principles that they're taught in public schools that don't fall in line with my Seventh-day Adventist worldview. And there are ideas that make me feel uncomfortable, and I just, I'm not sure what to do with those things that they're taught. And sometimes I just wish, oh, I wish they just wouldn't teach them that. It's much easier for me to love those who think the same thing as me, who worship the same as me, who have the same political uh, leanings as I do. How about you? If someone comes into church and they're dressed differently, they don't have the same worldview as you, they have different theology, they have different political leaning, how do you feel? How does it sit with you? In Mark chapter 12, Jesus says, embrace truth and love. In John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus communicates a, simple, a similar thing as he does in Mark 12, but in different words. He says, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You must also love one another. Here, Jesus takes love and he makes it a truth. You must love one another. But my question is, how does Jesus love? I think of Romans chapter 5, verse 8, and many of you are familiar with this passage. But God commends his love towards us in that while we were yet, help me out, sinners, Christ died for us. So when we are at odds against God, when we are opposed to God's ideals and his truth, that's when God decides, Jesus, go die for those people. While we are not obeying. See, loving our neighbors it's not about doing the right thing. It's about loving people who do the wrong thing. Bearing the person who is doing the wrong thing. You see, God wants to reconcile sinners to himself. And as followers of God, he commands us to learn to love, to learn to forgive, especially when we're not doing the right thing, especially when we have differences. In John chapter 13, verse 35 Jesus continues on, By this all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Did you know that John chapter 13 verse 35 tells us the identifying mark of God's last day people? You know, as a church, we often quote this phrase, and we think of Revelation 14, 12, where it says, Those who have, uh, hear the patience of the saints, hear those that keep the commandments of God. It's like, aha, that's how you identify God's last day people. But when you look at the words of Jesus, he says, here's how you figure out if you're really my disciples, if you have love for one another. In this verse, the identifying mark of God's people, it's not the Sabbath, 
It's not the state of the dead. It's not the spirit of prophecy. It's not all the things that we claim as identifying marks. But if anybody in the community, I'm talking about people who are not in the church, were to look around and say, who are God's people? What they want to know, and Jesus knows this, is do you know how to love? Do you know how to love? And hence, this is the identifying characteristic that Jesus chooses. You know, as Melbourne City Adventist Church, we want to do mission. We want to do outreach. We want the world or we want this community and the people in our lives to know of God, God's power, his divinity, his identity. But they can only know this as we practice his unity and his love. And I believe this is the key to building the Melbourne City Adventist Church. I want to close today's sermon by talking about forgiveness. Now, I realize it sounds like I'm landing the plane. I'm not. I'm just close. This is the last idea, but it's going to take a little bit of time. So for those of you who are thinking, ah, yes, short sermon, I'm sorry. <laughs> for those of you who weren't thinking that well, I'm, I'm yay. <laughs> okay. I want to talk about forgiveness because we talk about forgiveness a lot as a church and as a community of faith, but practicing forgiveness, it's something completely different. But I believe forgiveness is so important because forgiveness has the power to cultivate love, especially in the context of a community. Now, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32, Paul writes, All bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander must be removed from you along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Paul here talks about the secret to removing bitterness, anger, and the rest of the lists. He says you can remove bitterness by showing kindness. Now, a couple of weeks ago, it was my wife's birthday, and all of us had woken up on the wrong side of the bed. I should have asked you for permission before I told this story, but um, <laughs> I'm telling this story. <laughs> It's the danger of being uh, connected to a pastor. Like, you never know what story's going to come up. Now, usually we're good. Anyway, I'm just rambling. Um, that was my way of saying sorry for not clearing this. <laughs> so it was Jinha's birthday, May 19, and all of us woke up on the wrong side of the bed, and we just, it was such a bad day. And, you know, in the middle of that day, I kind of thought, oh, I need to, it's, it's her birthday. It's her 40th birthday. I need to, I need to go get a gift and write a card. And... You know, my question is, what, what am I going to do in this situation? Do I just go, you know what? I don't like you right now, so stuff it. Too bad for you. Or do I go do the right thing and go, you know, shopping for a present and, and trying to celebrate her birthday? And so I decide I'm going to go to the shops and find something. And an interesting thing happened. As I was looking for a gift for my wife, even though we're in the middle of conflict, um, as I was looking for the gift, the, the, the anger abated for that moment, and I just kind of felt this appreciation for my wife. And, and I just found this passage to be very true. Now, it may sound like a moment where I'm on this, I'm saying, oh, good job, me. It didn't end well because we then argued some more afterwards, and the day was terrible. But in that moment, when I practiced kindness for this person, there was this genuine sense of love and appreciation. And the passage has so much power-packed truth 
that you can counteract bitterness by using kindness. See, bitterness, it's the poison that we drink hoping somebody else will die. And the reality is no matter how much bitterness we drink, it just doesn't make the other person die. And so Paul shares this important truth. Paul also says, forgive one another in Christ, just as God also forgave you. Now, when I apply this passage, what I try to do is I reflect on God's forgiveness and what it means for me and the other person that I'm in conflict with. You know, usually when I'm arguing with somebody or when I don't get along with somebody, I often think about what the other person has done and how it makes me feel. Or sometimes when I get caught up in the conflict, sometimes I feel guilty about my own response and my own actions. And there's just this spiral of anger and frustration because I'm stuck in my own world. But here Paul says, look at and fixate on what God's forgiveness means for you. And so in that moment, rather than living in my own perspective, Paul is saying, step into God's shoes and look at what God's forgiveness means in this situation. How does God feel about the person I am in conflict with? How does God feel about me as I'm in the midst of that conflict? And oftentimes, it takes a while, but I find healing because from God's perspective, there is love, confidence, and forgiveness. My dad is incredibly forgiving. My mother passed away when I was 15, and... um, uh, many of you know this, but some of you may not. And uh, for those of you who are not familiar with Asian culture, um, when there's someone who is a widow, after a short period of time, you know, they're, they're very practical people. They start doing the matchmaking thing. Like, they would tap my dad on the shoulder and say, hey, do you know, Elder Kim, that there's this lovely lady, you know, down in California or in Oregon or in some other place? Um, you should meet her. And you know, at the time, my dad would think about it, and he was very considerate of both my brother and I. And he he asked me and my brother, hey, how do you feel about me meeting somebody? And my response was, no way. <laughs> like, you are going to be single until I die. And, you know, to his credit, he waited and he waited and he waited. And he waited five years, five years of telling, of holding the aunties of the church off and saying... <laughs> You need to give my sons, my son, it's not plural, it's just me. (laughs) You need to give my son space. And after five years, my brother tapped me on the shoulder and just said, hey, like, you got to let dad meet somebody because he's not getting any younger and it's it's not fair to him. So I said, okay. And he met somebody from Canada and um, they dated for uh, almost two years. And um, at the end of that two-year period, they decided, okay, well, let's, let's get married and my dad wanted to have this conversation with her, and the conversation went something like this. Look, I deeply care about you, and I'm interested in building a relationship with you, but you need to know I am not wealthy. I'm, I'm actually I'm, I'm quite poor. And at the time, she looked at him and said, I don't care about money. I just care about you. Let's, let's get married. And so they did. Now, unfortunately, she really didn't know how poor my dad was. And after about a year... It, she, couldn't, she couldn't handle it anymore. And she basically, like the arguments would increase and she told him, look, I can't do this anymore. And she packed her bags and went back to Canada. And that was the end of, her, that was the end of their relationship. And 
yeah, I just, that wasn't me crying. I was just, my voice went, <laughs> I just probably need some water or something. But, um, um, it was a very difficult time for my dad. And uh, some time passed by. Oh, thank you. Hey, for the wifey. <laughs> so after a period of time, he gets a phone call from his ex-wife. And she asks him, hey, I have this daughter, or I, not a daughter. <laughs> I have this niece who is from Korea. She's going to study at the University of Washington. Can you take care of her um, while she's near you and help her find an apartment? And my dad basically said, yes, I'll, I'll take care of her. And so he picked up this girl from the airport, drove her around Seattle, found her an apartment. And over the next four years, any time this girl needed um, help moving anything or if she had friends that were visiting from Korea, my dad would pick them up from the airport, drive them around and try to show them a good time in Seattle. He would drive her to the airport whenever she needed and really just tried to provide support to her. Well, one year it was Thanksgiving, and um, in the U.S., Thanksgiving is a big holiday. It's where we share a meal together as a family. We talk about all the things we're thankful for, and we just, it's, it's, it's an important holiday season. Or it's, it's a very important holiday where we spend time together. And my dad came to my brother and I and said, hey, I want to invite this girl for Thanksgiving dinner. How do you feel about that? And we were not excited about that. I was like, why are you inviting this person to our home? Like, this is you don't have to do this. And he said, ah, he did the Korean dad thing. Just do it. And so we had to go drive up to Seattle, pick her up, and bring her to the home. And my dad, like, he is the single bachelor, and he just cooked the best meal that he possibly could. Anytime she ate all the food off of her plate, he would ask her, would you like more food? Anytime she finished her drink, he would say, can I, get you, can, can I pour you some more drink? And he basically extended his family to this young girl. And afterwards, she went back home, and um, we kind of had this debriefing session where I just kind of looked at my dad, and really the nature of the question, uh, the nature of the discussion was, why? Why do you do this? And his response was, you know, if I don't extend love to this person, what happened, like, she may never get to know what it's like to know God. And these simple acts might make a difference. And I thought, okay, that's great and all, but, like, isn't this difficult for you? And, you know, he says, you know, this girl, her mother is my wife's twin sister. And, you know, as we were having dinner, there would be moments where I'm like, man, you look so familiar. And the reality is every time my dad serves this young girl— He's looking into the eyes of his ex-wife because her mom is twins with his ex-wife. And, and I just, I was like, isn't that painful? And, and he says, you know, I feel like God, I feel like God is a genius. And I asked him, in what way? And he says, you know, I feel so much pain in my life. But when I practice forgiveness, it's so healing to me. And as he said that, he said, I think that if God didn't forgive, it would kill him. You know, you think about all the times humanity has done wrong in the sight of God. And all the rebellion and conflict and sin in this world. And there is God in heaven going, what am I going to do? And so he sends Jesus to die for us. 
And my dad looks at that and says, there's something so healing about forgiveness. So the young lady graduated, went back to Korea, and she sent my dad this package. In the package was this necktie, and um, the necktie was like bright pink, and it had stripes, and embedded within the necktie were these plastic crystals, and if the light would just hit the necktie just right, it would blind you. And, you know, in the words of Kevin Hart, it was so bad, he should have bought another one just like it and thrown both in the trash. You know, like it was, just, it was really, really bad. And he was so proud of this tie. He wore it every chance he got. And he would like kind of like extend his chest out so people could see it. And he just, he valued this so much. The, the, the note said, Dear Seattle Dad, And basically, she just went on to say, thank you for treating me like a daughter. Thank you for taking care of me for those four years. There were moments where I felt so lonely, and there were things that were so difficult. I just really appreciate you being there for me. Love your daughter. And you know, here is my dad, where he practices forgiveness, and his family grew. And my point is, as we practice forgiveness and love as a church community— our families will grow. You know, my dad practicing forgiveness, it it didn't heal his relationship with his ex-wife. She never returned to him. She was never like, oh, like, thank you for being so good to my family. Let's try and make this work out because you're a good man. Never healed. It, It didn't heal the relationship, but it did heal my dad. And so, you know, as you consider these things, as you live out God's word, I hope that you too can experience the healing power of God's word. May God bless you. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, as we reflect upon your mercy, as as we reflect upon your amazing grace, Father, I pray that you would award us pockets of time today and the rest of this week. Sit in your grace. Father, may your love, your acceptance, the confidence that comes from your heart overflow in our hearts. And may you give us strength to make amends with one another and to those that have wronged us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.